It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from State Farm, here with good news and even better news. The good news? State Farm has new lower car insurance rates. The even better news? That means you can now get the service and convenience of a local State Farm agent at surprisingly great rates. State Farm can help you save more cash and get the good neighbor service you deserve. Just talk to your local State Farm agent or visit statefarm.com to find out how much you can save on your car insurance. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You are locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Daniel, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. This is certainly a different type of day for the Golden State Warriors, not only because they lost 105-102 to the Miami Heat, but because of the way that it happened. It was a fascinating game, interesting to see the Warriors in crunch time, and largely, actually, they executed pretty well during that time, except for a few things that I'll talk about, but also through the definitive performance of Dion Waiters. And the way that I thought about this game is through an old legal idea of contributory negligence. And so the theory of contributory negligence is that something bad happens and a series of different things, forces, people, actions, whatever, contributed to it and were what are called but-for causes. So meaning that if that thing had not occurred, the damage would not have happened. And yet no one of them bears the burden of what happened. And to me, there were three different factors that are all kind of broad and some some of them intermingle a little bit that were big factors. And while the broadcast and numerous other people likely focus on the missed shots that the Warriors had, I have that third on the list. And there's a very specific reason why. And I'll get to that when I get to the third section. But the most important for me was a group that I call preventable mistakes. And the Warriors had 14 turnovers in this game. 14 turnovers is not horrible, especially for a team that plays fast and that moves the ball as much as the Warriors do. But the nature of the turnovers in this game were largely unforced and absolutely devastating for them. So I I draw a distinction between forced and unforced, kind of going back to, for those of you who play tennis, to the idea of tennis of how much did your opponent contribute to the mistake? And while Miami did a great job on a few of them, forced mistakes, pressured the Warriors in some ways that they're not comfortable with, Miami played hard in this game, many of the Warriors' most egregious and most devastating mistakes were completely of their own making. And in terms of passing, there were four that stuck out to me. The first was Stephen Curry had an absolutely horrendous pass. It was a three-and-one fast break. He was driving and decided for whatever reason to throw it behind the back to a teammate. Never had a chance. Just a horrible mistake. So it turned a three-on-one into an opportunity for the for the Miami Heat. Second one was Sean Livingston with about seven minutes to go. Just apropos of nothing threw an absolute bullet of a pass to Steph Curry which never got to him missed him by far enough that he never could have caught it and Curry wasn't open enough that they were that Livingston was trying to pass him open like a good quarterback it was just being maybe it was overly fancy maybe he thought it wasn't as tight a window as it was but a no chance play that one at least didn't lead to a fast break because the ball just flew out of bounds but still tough at that stretch of time third was Curry had a second horrible pass. This one was in the fourth quarter where he just, the guy was never open. Miami player, I don't remember who it was. It might've been Waiters, just read it the whole way, picked it off, and I think went down and got a layup. Might've even been an and one. And then the fourth one 
which will get lost in the shuffle because of everything else that happened. But Draymond Green threw one of the worst passes anyone has thrown this year in the NBA because he was the ball was moving around. It was getting a little bit cluttered around the paint. And he threw in a close game. I believe it was a two-point game at that point. He threw a behind-the-back pass into like three different Miami Heat players. There was no chance for any Warrior to get it, and he was not rushed. It wasn't a circumstance where he was being trapped. It wasn't a circumstance where the shot clock was expiring and he had to move the ball. There was actually another mistake like that at an earlier point in the game. And so all of those factors together in a game that was this close are immensely important. Any one of those could have swung not only a single possession for the Warriors, but many of them led to fast breaks for Miami, and that swing is more than enough to make the difference in this game. And also, those mistakes, turnovers are sometimes the easiest to quantify and to explain in terms of mistakes broadly, but that's not all, because Zaza Pachulia got mad at Luke Babbitt for giving him a shoulder and swung and hit him in the face. That's a flagrant foul, two free throws, and while they did call a technical on Babbitt, which they probably would not have called if Pachulia hadn't hit him in the face, Curry missed that free throw too. That's that's a little bit neither here nor there because Pachulia couldn't control for the Warriors' best free throw shooter or the league's best free throw shooter missing, but all the same, two free throws one way, zero the other way. That's the way it worked out. Game ended up with a, with a, two point, with a three-point margin, but close enough. You get the idea. The other group... That has to be discussed there is that the Warriors shot 12 of 20 on free throws. And this was not the worst of the worst getting free throws and just bricking them. Only one free throw in this game was attempted by a backup. That was JaVale McGee. He missed one. He could have gotten an and one. Didn't get that. Draymond was one for four all in the fourth quarter. Durant only had two free throw attempts, made both of those. And then Curry and Clay each missed one themselves. So you swing that a little bit. It certainly helps. And the Warriors are notoriously bad at getting to the free throw line, especially when Durant only has two free throws in the game. But they did in the fourth quarter. They got in the bonus. They, they were shooting free throws the rest of the way from nine minutes and 10 seconds on. Didn't get to the line enough at that point. Point and then also just missed a ton of those free throws. So I bundle those all together in terms of preventable mistakes, but the Warriors clean up even a small portion of that and they're fine. Even with all the other crap, even with everything else, good and bad, they can still win a game against a team that played pretty hard and shot better than they usually do. The second factor, which for many people justifiably would be the first one, is Dion Waiters. Waiters was absolutely spectacular in this game. Some of that, like often with a player who just goes off, is the other team not having a great night defensively. But a lot of it was Waiters making shots he almost never makes. He was 13-20 to from the field, 6-8 of from 3, including the ridiculous game winner, and the Warriors did not have the right personnel to go after him. Waiters is more strong than fast. And without Andre Guadalla, they just didn't have the right personnel to do it. Durant, his former teammate, is a little bit longer and lankier and couldn't really stick with waiters in that way. Klay Thompson wasn't giving him the right space. Thompson was also in foul trouble at various moments in the early parts of the game. And they were playing waiters at the three mostly. I advocated at various moments in the game for them to put Draymond Green on waiters because the Warriors were playing a traditional five the whole time and they were playing Luke Babbitt at the four. 
So it's not like Draymond was going to be able to help very much anyway because Babbitt is a three-point shooter and not a whole lot else. So putting Durant there would have helped out a little bit more, and I think Draymond could have done a nice job with that, especially since they only used him at center at the very end of the game. Kerr did not go that way other than on switches, and most of those switches put Draymond on Goran Dragic. Waiters was great, made a lot of shots. He usually doesn't, including that game winner. But the game winner was also a good example of how the Warriors helped facilitate it a little bit. The Heat did not have a timeout remaining when Durant made that dunk to tie the game. Also, the Warriors went a little bit early, got the dunk with, I believe it was 11.6 left, and so that made sure that Miami was going to have enough. It's hard to knock it when you get a dunk. But at the same point, they did open the door. And then Waiters is dribbling the ball down the court, taking his sweet time, as Dion Waiters often does. And Clay Thompson played him like he was going to drive, even though Dion Waiters had made almost his entire living in this game, shooting pull-up twos and threes or, you know, taking a jab step or a sidestep. So making that sort of a decision is playing right into his hands. And while Clay is long enough that he got there to affect the shot, he could have been closer and made a bigger difference. And a lot of that is just not only executing the scouting report, but more executing what you've seen the entire game. For that exact same reason, I would have preferred to see Durant or Draymond on him and force somebody else to beat you, maybe even run some sort of a trap because Waiters is not the best passer in the world once the shot clock got pretty far down and then you're sitting there going, okay, well, that's really all that's left. Those sorts of circumstances. That said, he made a hard shot, made a ton of hard shots in this game. So who knows if that would have made the difference. The Warriors probably didn't deserve to win this game anyway, but they could have done better. But Waiters was also good. You just have to tip your hat sometimes. And I thought there was a little bit of poetic justice in it because not only was Waiters a big part of the Thunder losing game six and game seven of the Western Conference Finals last year because he could not make a shot to save his life, but also because the Warriors so often are the team that has that guy, the player who you do your absolute best to shut him down and they just go off anyway. Steph Curry has those days. Klay Thompson has those days. Kevin Durant has those days. Even Ian Clark had two of those against the against the Portland Trailblazers. So you never really know where it's going to come from. And it was strangely appropriate for somebody to do that to the Warriors. And somebody who has that sort of a history with the team did make it a little bit more fun. The last piece of contributory negligence, if you want to call it that, I don't like using negligence in this case because it wasn't negligent, was just missed shots. Fitz in particular was talking a lot about this during the game. It is certainly legitimate. They were eight for 30 from three. That's 26.7%. Before tonight, the Warriors had had eight games where they shot 30% or below on threes, and they lost five of those eight games. So including tonight, only one of the Warriors losses was in a game where they shot better than 30% from three. And that one game was against Memphis, the one in Memphis, which was basically half garbage time. So I don't even know what the splits were. My instinct would be that at halftime, the Warriors were probably shooting below 30% and then brought it over due to McCaw and whoever else played in that garbage time. I could look that up later if I if I get my druthers and really think about it. So that is an easy way to explain it. The Warriors struggle when they're missing those kinds of shots. Also, I would throw their 12 of 20 from the free throw line in this. And also I would throw in that they really did struggle on uncontested shots, which is something that comes in from the sport view data and it measures how close the nearest defender is. The Warriors were 17 of 38 on uncontested shots. They can be anywhere on the court, but usually it's a jump shot because if you get close enough, they're usually a dude there somewhere, unless it's like a wide open layup when nobody gets back in transition. So they were 17 of 38 on uncontested shots and five of 14 
seen from Klay Thompson and Stephen Curry combined. Those guys are usually absolute monsters there. And while 5 of 14 is not catastrophically bad, making one or two even more of those shots would have been enough to swing the game. They also missed 10 shots in the restricted area. Usually teams don't get 30. They had 29. They were 19 for 29. But there were a couple of missed layups by Curry and a couple other guys that usually go in. Of course, Oz Pachulia missed a couple because he always does. And also the Warriors missed five of their eight shots in the paint, not in the restricted area. So when the margin is as close as it was, an element like that can make the difference too. And of course, the threes in total, if they even shoot 30% in this game, they probably win and likely, depending on when those came, probably win going away. Why I think that's the third factor and why I don't want it to be overstated is that the Warriors at moments are going to have to win games that actually matter when they can't make three-pointers. And they could have won this game even if they struggled from there. Miami, while they have a bad record overall for the season, has been playing well recently. This was at home. The Warriors did play yesterday, though it was that weird factor where they were already in Miami 24 hours before this game, had a night in Miami. Don't know what occurred there, but that is something they will have to deal with in the playoffs because no matter what, even if you're not dealing with high variance shots, which the Warriors inevitably are with three-pointers, even if their three-point shooting is better from a personnel standpoint than almost everybody else, you are going to have to win a game or two against a talented opponent when the shots are not falling. And the Warriors have not done very much of that this season. As well as their defense has played, they have not shouldered that burden very well. And whether it's against the Rockets or against the Jazz in a first round and second round series or Spurs, whoever in the conference finals or the Cavs in the NBA finals, they will have one or two games where they shoot five of 25, something like that from three, and they will need to win. Forcing turnovers can get them there, a lot of different things. And it would have been nice to see them win a game when that wasn't going in their favor. And it was close enough that it certainly could have happened. It wasn't like the blowout, some of the blowout losses that they've had, like the one against the Lakers, which I believe was still their worst shooting game of the season because that game was an absolute disaster. But they need to be able to take one or two of those games in order, like just, just to make it survivable. And that is what makes them a great regular season team is that they have very few bad games and they often win their bad games because they have a hot quarter like they did against the Magic or because they're just better than the other team and outlast them. They've had a couple of those games this year, mostly at home actually. And those wins are more indicative of future success, as crazy as it sounds, because inevitably there are games when the other team is doing a good job. And there are many reasons why a team shot is not falling it can be strong defense it can be just mistakes on the court you never really know completely for sure there are a lot of different factors but building your fundamentals out getting rebounds not turning the ball over underline underscore and everything else that can make a team successful that can be your fallback so that when the shot isn't falling there you're getting to the free throw line you're making layups and dunks in transition and taking advantage of everything else that this Warriors team does well other than shooting threes and not using that as a as an as an excuse in a way for for not winning the game not the biggest thing in the world i'm not sitting there saying the sky is falling because the warriors lost a game because the spurs gained a gain on them because because the spurs won in brooklyn despite sitting half their guys they sat Kawhi, they sat well pals hurt they sat manu and all that stuff you know and tony parker didn't play either those sorts of things happen the spurs have lost a couple of games in the last few weeks that the warriors you know have not and they still have a lead for a reason and i fully expect them to get home court 
no no reason no big deal there but you want to win at least a couple of these games just to prove to yourself so that you can do it and when an opponent is giving you the game of their season it's an even better time to do so a couple other small notes that i wanted to mention clay thompson got back into a habit that was more a case a couple of years ago where he got into foul trouble early and then it just kind of hung around a little bit and the reason he got into foul trouble was pretty standard clay thompson stuff the first foul was dubious it was not his fault i think it was it was a questionable call from what i remember was first quarter my memory of it is not rock solid but his second one was totally preventable albeit justifiable he was trying to get a rebound away from hassan whiteside and basically like jumped into him and swung into his arms to try to back tap it to i believe zaza Pachulia. and they called the foul as they often do it's just the way he he jumped and hassan whiteside was in his way and that play is a fine play to make in different contexts but when you are a vital offensive player and your team is shorthanded because Andre Godala is not playing due to rest, who also would have made a huge difference in terms of defending Deion Waiters, but I digress, those fouls need to just be eliminated from your game. And there will be bad fouls that get called at certain moments, but both Clay and Steph have a nasty penchant for not realizing how important they are to the offense, and they are not so judicious about fouling like Kevin Durant, where Kevin Durant... You know, you can keep him in when he has foul trouble because he almost never fouls. LeBron's the same way, actually. He's not that responsible so that you can't really keep him in in that way. So if you're not going to be that responsible and to allow you to keep in, then you shouldn't get in foul trouble in the first place. And Clay's defensive game is not predicated on the sorts of things that can get those foul circumstances. So just not picking up the cheapies would probably be enough for him to stay out of it pretty much. So that is something that I want to watch moving forward. It was also interesting to see the Warriors only run a nine-man rotation in a game when Andre Guadala didn't play that was on the tail end of a back-to-back. Usually that is when a coach and a coaching staff really relies on their second unit to get through it. The Warriors did not do that. Curry, 36 and a half minutes. Thompson, 37, despite foul trouble. Durant, 36. Draymond Green, 38-30, including some at center towards the end of the game when the Warriors went on that run after being down 10. They relied heavily on those guys because they need to. McCaw played a lot. I thought he looked pretty solid. Not spectacular. JaVale looked good in terms of the offensive part of it. I my, my podcast partner, Nate Duncan, has talked before about how maybe with JaVale, they're unstoppable offensively and they can survive some defensive miscues. He definitely had some mistakes on that end like he often does. And a rare play, I, I tweeted about this when it happened, but Draymond Green actually left him out to dry. He went out too far to cont- to try to mess up with mess with James Jones and being out that far let Jones get past him and then it was basically James Jones, JaVale and I, it was either Hassan Whiteside or Willie Reed and JaVale made the right play, went out to James Jones and then that opened up the lob and completely completely gave up the possession. And the irony of it was that Draymond first of all Draymond almost never makes that mistake himself, but second of all, the position James Johnson was in was exactly the same one that Draymond has been in a million times over the years and so often made those passes to Festus Azili. So it was kind of seeing his own his own mistake from the other side of it was intriguing to me, but you know, again, another thing that could have swung the outcome. So not the biggest loss in the world, but hopefully a few teachable moments and something that they can that they can learn from and that won't affect them long term. This is not the cataclysm that the Memphis game was or the, the Cleveland loss was, but still a reminder that they're not a perfect team and that when they don't play great, they can lose to somebody who plays hard. And especially if they have a player who's going out of their minds like Deion Waiters was in this game. 
If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, you can reach out to me, NBA at gmail.com or at DannyLaRue on Twitter, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. I try to read everything. I respond when I can, and I am compiling stuff for eventually an email bag, but also I'll probably do a couple different things over the course of this week. I don't know if people want to hear me kind of talk about how I see these guys in terms of the All-Star game. I think that's a small thing. Maybe I could do it in an email bag. I don't know if I'll wait until before or after the results are actually out. That's something I'm just thinking about off the top of my head. Of course, there'll be a podcast on the Warriors game in Charlotte, which is on Wednesday night, actually doing that for the Twitter NBA show. So you can check that out. You can Nate Duncan NBA is Nate's Twitter handle, but I believe it's the same on Periscope. I'll tweet it out. All that stuff will be there. Nate and I will do a live post-game show or a live halftime show because that's actually the first game. It's weird to have the Warriors in the first game. And then we'll do a post-game show after both games where we will talk about the Warriors as well. And we're doing All-Star Reserve, so the Warriors will be featured prominently in that as well. I definitely do appreciate your feedback. Want to make the show as good as it can be. If you want to support the show, you can subscribe, download every episode, and whatever podcast player makes you happy. You can also leave a rating, leave a review in the same podcast player. It's great if it's iTunes. It's totally fine if it's not. We use everything. Everything helps. And also, if you're interested in advertising on the show, I can give demographic information. I can give listener information. The same email address, NBA at gmail.com. Great way to get local listens. I can give you specific pinpoint stuff if you want that. Great way to check it out. Again, NBA at gmail.com. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Take care and make it a great day. Hey, Bay Area sports fans. This is Ben Kaspic, host of the Locked On Giants podcast which should be the next Locked On podcast you fire up in your feed. The MLB offseason is closing in, and I'll have you covered every day, breaking down the rumors, speculation, and transactions that'll shape next year's Giants team. Subscribe to Locked On Giants right now on your favorite podcast provider. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.